Hello, welcome to my Camino, the podcast. I'm Dan Mullins. This is a weekly discussion focused on the Camino de Santiago, the way of St. James, a series of pilgrimages across Europe. The majority of pilgrims walk to reach the cathedral in Santiago de Compostela in northwest Spain. It's said the remains of Christ's apostle St. James are interred in a silver casket beneath the cathedral. I started doing this podcast eager to maintain a connection with the Camino and the many friendships and inspirational encounters along the way. I've walked twice, in 2016 and in 2017. As I've said before, what is it about the Camino that seemingly sensible, practical and intelligent people subject themselves to walking dozens of miles a day alongside perfect strangers, when the only thing to look forward to is a bunk bed among 100 other exhausted people? It's hardly lifestyles of the rich and famous. I like to start each week reading you something I've read recently. Well, this week I'm going to introduce my international listeners to the Australian artist and poet Michael Lunig. He is a genius. He draws cartoons and couples them with poems. And I think it's a very Australian sense of humour, but it resonates, I think, around the world. I have his cartoon called A Common Prayer on my office wall. It shows a man carrying a cross, and he is bent right over under the weight of it. Yet by his nose is a plant in flower, and a bird sits on the lateral of the cross. Lunig says he's passionate that one of the places people can draw comfort from is the natural world, and that getting close to it can reveal a rawness, truth, beauty, and harmony. So I urge you all to Google Michael Lunig, L-E-U-N-I-G, L-E-U-N-I-G. You can thank me later. He is religious and sometimes uses prayer as a means to make a point. He wrote a prayer accompanied by his usual wistful characters. Dear God, we pray for another way of being, another way of knowing. Across the difficult terrain of our existence, we have attempted to build a highway, and in doing so, have lost our footpath. God, lead us to our footpath. Lead us there where, in simplicity, we may move at the speed of natural creatures, and feel the earth's love beneath our feet. Lead us there where, step by step, we may feel the movement of creation in our hearts. And lead us there where, side by side, we may feel the embrace of the common soul. Nothing can be loved at speed. God, lead us to the slow path, to the joyous insights of the pilgrim. Another way of knowing, another way of being. Amen. Well, I spoke with Anna Chandler a couple of weeks ago about walking the Camino with her son, Tom, who had suffered from terrible depression for years. I've since received emails from other parents wondering if the Camino could provide similar outcomes for their families. So if all that's all I achieve out of all of this, that will do me. As Michael Lunig said, God lead us to the slow path, to the joyous insights of the pilgrim, another way of knowing another way of being. Three weeks ago, I drifted off track a bit and read to you a speech I'd delivered at the Camino Conference in the Blue Mountains outside of Sydney. 
the response was amazing. And I'm starting to also get a lot of correspondence from people thinking of walking the Camino. They are using the podcast as a walking advisory to help them make the right decisions when they arrive in Europe. So I've decided to break up the interviews from time to time with a presentation. This week, a few things to consider, a kind of who, what, where and when for ideas and concerns worth keeping in mind. If you are preparing to walk, I hope it will form a ready reckoner to draw on. I'm by no means an expert or an authority. Let's make certain of that. But I did meet this week with some people thinking of walking, and I made a mental note of the questions they asked, and I'll raise them here, and it it might serve, as I said, as a refresher for those of you who have walked, and maybe, as I said, it may form a ready reckoner for those thinking of becoming a pilgrim. I personally love the thought of being a pilgrim on the Camino and in life. So let's talk first about albergues, where you sleep if you choose to go for a cheaper option. In most towns, there will be a municipal albergue run by the local townspeople with money going to upkeeping the albergue and perhaps a clip for the people running it. You pay no more than 10 euros a night. I walked in 2017, staying mainly at municipal albergues. In fact, I think I only opted to avoid them on maybe three nights out of 40. So I'm going to talk about three albergues. I'll start with the Jesu e Maria albergue, or Jesus and Mary albergue, about a block and a half from the Pamplona Cathedral. It cost me eight euros. It is brilliant. Terrific facilities. Sleeps 112 people. It's an old church converted to a two-story hostel. The people, the hospitalieres and hospitalieros, were lovely. The place was absolutely spotless. The downstairs dorm opened out through the laundry to a wonderful courtyard at the foot of a former convent. It's a short walk to everything you need, everything you want to see. And just looking at my notes from last year, I have here, Pamplona is definitely somewhere I'd like to spend a few days. You're three days into your Camino in Pamplona as a rule. It's about 65 kilometers from Jean-Pied-de-Port. Most people, if they can... Walk to Roncesvalles on day one over the Pyrenees, then into Zabiri on day two, before arriving in Pamplona on day three. Consider the Jesu e Maria albergue just off Plava di la Compagna in Pamplona. The second albergue is in Nahira. You've walked 28 kilometers from the city of Loronio, a beautiful walk. And Loronio is about day seven. Nahira, around day eight is on the Ebro River, and the municipal albergue is on the Plaza de Santiago right alongside the river. There are a total of 159 beds in Nahiria. The municipal albergue is Donativo, so you pay what you can afford, and it sleeps 60. Many of the bunks are side by side, so if you climb up onto your top bunk, you're lying alongside some stranger, cheek to jowl, with someone you don't know, or maybe you do know, and you're trying to avoid. For some reason on the day I was there last year, it was packed to the gunnels. Top and bottom bunks flush up against other bunks. And then on the night I was there, it was very, very hot. There is only a small row of windows along one side of the room. It was the only air going in or out. 
You were asked to leave your shoes in an anteroom before you entered the albergue. I won't begin to tell you what it was like in the shoe room. Suffice to say, it isn't somewhere you'd want to spend much time if you can avoid it at all. And often the municipal albergue will provide you with a sort of disposable paper sheet and pillowcase. None in Nahira. You just do your Georgie best. And I remember a restless night. I remember a couple of British brothers almost going the knuckle over snoring. And I remember being glad to get out of there in the morning to get back on the Camino. And I remember the first breath of fresh air as I stepped outside the albergue like it was yesterday. The third albergue I want to mention is in the town of Oncina de la Valdoncina, 11 kilometers outside the city of Leon. And I arrived at the albergue El Heya, limping with a, stra- a sprained ankle. I didn't plan on walking only 11 kilometers, but was forced to stop because my body was telling me I could go no further. El Payar is not on any of the official albergue guides or downloads. We only ended up there because I could go no further. I think it cost us 8 euros for the bed and another 7 euros for dinner, so all up 15 euros, and it was one of the best places I stayed. The hosts were brilliant, the place clean and interesting, and if you're there on the right night, you may be invited to watch the Hospitalera's husband's band playing in a small soundproof room off the courtyard. The paella was amazing. I limped out of the albergue the following morning, worse for wear but heavily strapped, and only walked about another 10 k's before resting for another night. But I was most impressed about a week later when one of my colleagues received a message from the hospitalera at El Paya asking if I was okay. That, in my view, is about as good as it gets. So mark in your little black book, if you do, if you will, the Jesu e Maria Albergue in Pamplona, the Municipal Albergue in Nahira, and Albergue El Paya in Oncina de la Valdoncina, 11 kilometers outside the city of Leon. You'll often see pictures of a fold-up passport called the Credencial del Peregrino. You have to carry it with you to prove you're a pilgrim and to show you have it stamped at various places along the journey, churches, inns, shops and restaurants, and albergues. You walk over hills through picturesque forests, farmlands and villages and into small cities. You'll cross highways, bridges and streams, encountering incredible views. And the credential will serve, in a way, as your souvenir. But it's also proof to show how far you have come. And although I've never seen it, I have heard stories that people have been turned away from albergues because there are people behind them in the line who have walked further. I'm certain it's true. I have just never seen it for myself. The Compostela is a certificate issued by the pilgrim's office to take home with you to prove you walk the Camino. The credential serves as evidence for your Compostela. So you, you have to have walked at least 100 kilometers to receive the certificate. And if you visit the pilgrim's office website, you'll find all the information you need. It is officina del peregrino.com. O F I C I, officina, officina del peregrino.com. Just Google Pilgrim's Office and you'll find the site. And it is translatable. And the Pilgrim's Office itself is about a block and a half from the Cathedral Square in Santiago. You might have to wait an hour or even more to get your certificate when you finally arrive in Santiago, but make sure you take the time. So just clarifying, you need to carry your credential with you all the time 
or each night you get it stamped in an albergue or in little inns or in temples or in churches to prove how far you have walked. For the last 100 kilometers, it's best to get two stamps a day. Two stamps a day so that you can prove that you have walked that last 100 kilometers and haven't taken taxis. You need two stamps a day for the last 100 kilometers. I thought that that was an old wives' tale. But in actual fact, uh, it happened to one of my colleagues when we arrived in Santiago. He went to get his Compostela and was told, I'm sorry, you don't have two stamps each day for those last 100 kilometers. So it's not difficult to do. Uh, Every cafe you go to, every bar you go to, every hostel, albergue, every church indeed will stamp your passport. So just make sure that it's stamped and you'll have nothing to worry about when you arrive at your destination. It's better to be safe than sorry. Make sure you take time as well and leave a couple of hours at the pilgrim's office because it can be very, very busy. The buses pull in there. You uh, You can book your buses and your trains there so there's plenty of things to do. And the chapel is well worth a visit in the pilgrim's office. I want to talk very briefly about food and wild berries and vineyards laden with grapes and trees heavy with crab apples grow wild along the Camino. We ate pears picked from trees along the route as well. And in the most part, the food is very, very good and very, very cheap. The coffee also is very good. And you can get a coffee and toast for breakfast with an orange juice for around four euros or even less. There are cafes and restaurants scattered all along the Camino. If you want to pay a bit more, you'll get a nicer meal. And by and large, the meals served in the albergues or a pilgrim's menu offered in a local cafe are very good. A pilgrim's menu will offer three courses, maybe soup or melon wrapped in jamon, that's dried ham, as entree, followed by paella or a pasta dish for main, and then dessert. One of my favorite desserts is the Santiago tart, a tart made from almond meal. It's fantastic. You'll find the food cheap and plentiful, certainly on the Camino Frances. And if you're on a path less traveled, do your homework to make sure you are carrying sufficient supplies to get you safely to your next day's destination. You'll also find plenty of water available to replenish water supplies along the Camino Frances. You rarely need to carry more than a litre of water as you can fill up regularly. Again, if you're off the beaten track, make sure you carry enough water to get you safely through your day's walk. One of the great things about the Camino de Santiago is it, by and large, makes us all equal. All the pilgrims are wearing the same gear. They are, as I said, by and large, sleeping in the same hostels. No one cares what you do at home. Here, you're a pilgrim. You all have all you need on your back, so you know you're going to be okay. And you start to learn you don't need all the stuff you carry with you in your life. I carried 4.75 kilograms on my first Camino. The second, I carried a guitar, so it was a bit of an anomaly. But the first time I walked, I checked onto an international flight with 4.75 kilograms of luggage. The woman at the check-in said, is that it? I wore one set of clothes. I took a second shirt, second pair of shorts, a pair of long cotton pants, two pairs of underpants, a change of socks, a small first aid kit, a wet weather jacket, a plastic poncho, and that was about it. When I put my water and food in my pack, I topped out at 6.5 kilograms on my back. And make sure you get your pack fitted properly. I had walked from Sahun to Astorga, so around five days of walking, 
before I walked into the albergue at the top of the hill in Astorga, and there were a group of students from the local university in a room in the front of the hostel. They were physiotherapy students, and they had asked pilgrims if they needed a massage, advice on injuries, or blisters taken care of. And they asked me if I needed my pack looked at. I said, sure. And I ended up standing with four students around me, pulling and pushing on the pack. I remembered feeling like an astronaut. All of a sudden, the pack was sitting squarely on my shoulders and hips, and the difference was incredible. So all those cords and straps and buckles on your pack actually do something. So make sure you get the right advice about your pack and make sure you have it fitted correctly. Small things turn into big things when you walk 800 kilometers. And you may not notice you have a problem until it's a big problem. You will be fatigued. Indeed, you'll be incredibly fatigued. I walked with a girl who said to me one afternoon, a part of me died out there today. It will break your spirit and it will make your spirit. I walked for days in pain. I had blisters because my feet were wet through in the mountains of France. I walked from Lourdes to saint jean pierre de port before I started the Camino Frances in 2017. I had terrible sin sureness, which was eventually alleviated by walking with walking poles. And I had the sprained ankle I mentioned before and copped a bout of food poisoning in Astoria as well. So it's not an easy journey and it's certainly not a holiday. It's more a holiday of the spirit and an easing of the pressures we feel every day, day after day. That, I think, is the great lure of the Camino. People talk about being called back. There is absolutely no doubt the fact that you are away from all the confusion and intrusion of daily life for six weeks or five weeks or however long you walk, and it's a great experience. Naturally, you'd have a yearning to return to that simple lifestyle. And it's something I think inside all of us we'd like to learn more about. The one thing I wanted to raise here follows an email I received during the week. There's a sense the Camino has become too touristy. Touragrinos, they're sometimes called. Well, I can't speak from experience as I've only walked it twice in 2016 and 2017. There are hundreds, if not thousands, of people with a greater sense of the impact of increasing numbers of pilgrims than I have. But I do feel I can say this. If you want to find space, you can. I walked in July and August in 2016 and it was very busy. But I never had to race for a bed. And in August, September and October 2017, it was less busy, but there were still plenty of people around. I still managed to get a bed. I still managed to find space when I felt I needed it. And I also managed to find some lovely people to call my Camino family. People I felt I wanted to get to know. People to eat with each night to share their journey and mine. And I'm pleased to say I still keep in regular contact with those people today. Indeed, I received a message this week from a listener in Canada who's about to embark on a Camino to celebrate 10 years of Camino friendship with two other pilgrims from around the world. The Camino brought them together in 2008 and they're getting together to walk again in 2018. There's something special about the bond you form. And I don't think lots of other people on the Camino, the fact that it's becoming more popular each year, diminishes the opportunity for the bonding to occur. I read somewhere a while back, the Camino is in no way better, in inverted commas, in the 1990s than in the 2010s. No more than it was better, in inverted commas, in the 13th century than in the 20th or the 21st. 
nor more genuine, nor whatever else. It's entirely up to you. You make of it what you will. And I was reading my notes from my Camino in 2016. I wrote, I know the night before I completed my Camino, I was sitting in an outdoor restaurant and I was asked by the three people I was with how I would describe the Camino to people when I returned home. Well, I couldn't then and still can't adequately describe it now. I've seen it described as mystical and spiritual. It's certainly both. But it's also something more, something you can't quite put your finger on. And something I've learned since arriving home, it's calling me back. I think everyone is called back. I said in my notes, the question is, will you answer the call? And I wrote, I will. I'll return to finish my Camino, though I hope I never finish. And I don't think I will. Someone also emailed me this week asking me to do some homework. In one of my recent podcasts, I mentioned the person who was responsible for the yellow arrows that mark the Camino and guide the pilgrims on their way. I didn't know at the time and should have really. His name was Elias Valinha and he was the pastor at the church in Othomrero. He's credited with the modern revitalization of the Camino. He studied the history of the Camino of Santiago throughout his life and his doctoral thesis was on the Camino. I'm quoting the Camino historian Laurie Dennett here. She says, When Valinha started promoting the ancient route, it was, in some places, impassable. Therefore, he decided in the mid-60s, 1960s that is, to define the original sections of the pilgrimage route, and after convincing mayors and other parishes and attracting different associations of friends of the way to become involved, the task of masking the original route began. The Yellow Arrows. Elias Valinha. If you go to the Confraternity of St. James's website, csj.org.uk, you'll find a stack of historical writing, much of it by Laurie Dennett, and it is outstanding. So the website again, csj.org.uk. Another message arrived about a fortnight ago asking for some information on becoming a hospitalero or hospitalera, someone who volunteers to take care of pilgrims in albergues. I'm not sure why a perfectly sensible and intelligent person would subject themselves to something like this, because it's not easy. Well, the best advice I have for you is to listen to podcast week 14. There's plenty of information on the Confraternity of St. James's website, csj.org.uk. And you can also find information at Julianne's website, australianhospitaleros.org. australianhospitaleros.org. So we've managed to do a bit of homework this week, a shorter podcast than what we're used to. I don't suppose that's such a bad thing. We've managed to discuss a few things people have raised with me. I hope it's enlightened you. And if you're thinking of walking the Camino, I hope if you're someone who's already walked, you too found something you could learn from the podcast. I thought I'd mix it up a little bit. I want to return, though, to Michael Lunig, the Australian poet and cartoonist. Dear God, we pray for another way of being, another way of knowing. Across the difficult terrain of our existence, we have attempted to build a highway, and in doing so, have lost our footpath. God, lead us to our footpath. Lead us there, where in simplicity we may move at the speed of natural creatures and feel the earth's love beneath our feet. Lead us there, where step by step we may feel the movement of creation in our hearts. And lead us there where, side by side, 
we may feel the embrace of the common soul. Nothing can be loved at speed. God, lead us to the slow path, to the joyous insights of the pilgrim, another way of knowing, another way of being. Amen. That's all we have time for. I'll be back again next week with another guest, another podcast. I'm Dan Mullins. Thanks for your company and until next week, Buen Camino. Buen Camino.